Hi, Brian, your lunatic friend. In my story of Jesus and music, I'm at the turn of the decade. The 90s are here and the 80s are gone. By the end of 1990, I'd been singing I've Got This Lunatic Friend for most of the year. I had become keenly aware of my sinful nature. That's what they call it in spiritual terms. But I just didn't know what to do with it. I was stuck in Romans chapter 7 where Paul basically says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. In the Life Recovery Bible, it describes it like this. I have the desire to do what is right, but I cannot carry it out. It was like I said, and we all need off of this record, I was raised on the lessons and the victory speech, and I fought for the standards that I could not reach. And I hold my tongue when the pain is great, cover my tears as we celebrate, while a private war rages with the fear and the doubt. I just try to run faster to find a way out. I was in a conundrum about grace. How far does it extend? There's one place in the scripture that says, he that knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it is a sin. And should I continue to do deliberate things against God and my relationship with him just because grace is there? I meant well most of the time, but clearly there was another law at work inside of me that was sometimes overpowering. Through my canceling, I learned that I was suffering from a low-grade, long-term depression, that I was managing poorly by deflecting, using sarcastic humor that was becoming more and more mean-spirited. I was angry that I couldn't live up to my own sermon and that I was expected somehow to be better than I was when I showed up at my events. The more I took a moral inventory of my life, the less transformed I felt. And it bothered me when we sang Amazing Grace. I once was lost and now I'm found like we only got lost once. And here's where you don't want to get your song lyrics mixed up with your Bible verses. In chapter 3 of Galatians it says, Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit that you're now going to make yourself perfect by your performance? Yes, that's exactly what I thought I was supposed to do. It's a subtle thing to start basing your faith on your performance. That's how you turn into a Pharisee. It wasn't getting through to me that when I get to the pearly gates, Jesus is not going to look at my resume. Look at all the wonderful things I've done in his name. There's even a scripture about that where God says, I never knew you. Here's where it's easy to miss God's primary purpose for us, and that is to know him. But at 38 years old, I was starting to wonder if I knew him or just knew about him. Because one thing I know about relationships, they don't always run smooth. One reason that I believe that I know him and that Jesus is alive and well is that he often doesn't agree with me about what I think is best. And if you've never had an argument with God, I wonder if you've had a relationship. But the truth is, I was talking more and more like we were closer than we were. And because I know about him, I can kind of fill in the blanks. But honestly, I didn't want to get too close. I could trust him with a few things, but I wasn't going to give him everything or confess everything to him, even if he already knows. The trouble with a fallen nature is I still want to have things my way. And I often want to keep things for myself. But in order to do that, I would have to develop my own coping mechanisms so that I could protect myself against my own choices. Because doing things my way was making my life unmanageable. Not right away, mind you, but sin has a way of producing a compounded interest. And the Bible does talk about earning the wages of sin. I was struggling and acting like I was alright at the same time. And I thought no one would notice. And I was feeling pretty self-righteous when I sat at the table with about 12 friends. When I noticed that every everyone was looking at me. I had no idea this was going to feel like the last supper. When a friend speaking for the whole group said, we don't know all that's going on in your life, but we know you need to get some help. And I was dumbfounded, incredulous. I'm not any worse than anyone else just because I'm angry and not dealing with it very well. Until now, it had never occurred to me that I could have a compulsion or an addiction even after knowing Jesus. Two things stuck out at me that night. A friend said, Brian, God made human beings, not human doings. And there's three things that you 
can't fix other people, other people, and other people. And that was interesting because I felt like it was other people that were making my life unmanageable. And a month later, I was checking myself into a treatment center. And there wasn't a simple title for my problems like drugs or alcohol. That might have been why I didn't feel like I had a problem. Suffice it to say, after years of representing Jesus and trying to be Christ-like, it was more like I was impersonating him. And I was filled with self-loathing because I knew I was an imposter. And I blamed everybody and everything on the fact that I couldn't be Jesus. And I might have felt like Moses when he broke all the Ten Commandments at one time, saying to his people, speaking for God, he says, how long are we gonna have to put up with you? And in the first week of 30 days in a treatment center, and they asked me why I was here, and I said I really don't know, the therapist asked me to write a letter to God. He said, don't even think about it very much, just say, dear God, on a piece of paper, and then whatever comes to your mind first. And I'll never forget my first note, dear God, I don't like some of your friends. But in the coming weeks of the treatment center, I would discover that, yeah, God has some friends that are hard to love, but he also has some friends that are going to help you in a bad place. And one of those places was discovering that there's a difference between proclaiming the good news and enforcing it. And this would be a big turning point in my life. I would start writing songs for the Mercy Project, coming from a new place. I understand now that verse in the Bible that says, in the counsel of many, there is safety. Having more than a few people speak into my life was good for me. I had never taken a break in 20 years, nor had I listened to anyone else's advice. And I discovered that I had more than one blind side, and there was no one calling me on anything. But let me tell you, it's the most humbling thing in the world to listen to someone else tell you about your defects of character. And once you've heard the truth, there's no room for false humility. After that, I just wanted to throw myself on the mercy of the court. I had no righteousness to point to, and now you'll understand when I tell you about the songs on the next record. We simply called the album Mercy. And one of the first songs I wrote would be about the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. In the book of Acts, it says, Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground. And this is where God himself speaks to him. He was basically saying, Saul, you've got it all wrong. And some of his stories sounded familiar to me. Saul thought he was doing right, and so did I. But a heavenly light brings new insight. When I wrote the words, I took pride trying to fix the world, struck blind, squarely by the truth. I said, I'm so far from where you are, and all of a sudden, a heavenly light goes on. And all of a sudden, don't have to fix the world. It's hard to believe now, after all I had been through, and how powerless I felt at the time, that the next record would be the biggest selling record I ever had. And looking back now, it's interesting to see that oftentimes, the worst times of your life, where everything feels like it's coming apart, God is about to put everything together. But the truth is, you're not ready. And that's when he takes you through what I call an attitude adjustment. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. This has been Jesus and Music on NutshellSermons.com. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to hear the two-minute Nutshell Sermons and prayers you won't hear in church every Saturday morning and every Monday. I post these eight-minute versions on Thursday mornings. I call this Jesus and Music, but it's mostly about the songs I've written and why. Sign the comments. I love hearing from you, and I love being your lunatic friend.